Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Tony, the ghetto activist, is a self-taught historian that focuses on Black history through an Afrocentric lens. He created his blog roughly three years ago with the primary objective of countering thousands of years of misinformation, degradation, and systemic oppression by any means necessary. His work can be found on TikTok at The Ghetto Activist, Instagram at The Ghetto Activist, Twitter at Ghetto Activist, and on Patreon, The Ghetto Activist. We are excited to share this moment with Tony. Welcome to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. Tony, thank you so much. I appreciate you collaborating with me to get on here and share some time with me. I know it hasn't been easy, but I'm really happy we made it happen. No, of course. Thank you so much for having me and, and for having the grace. Like you said, it hasn't been easy. I hate to blame it on a busy schedule, but I get like I'm so wrapped up in so many things. So it's easy for me to forget, which is probably probably need to hire like an assistant, a part time assistant, something like that. But no, nonetheless, thank you so much for the grace and for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Let's get into it. So I know by now people want to know who are the parents of the one and only ghetto activist. <laughs> And what is the major lesson you learned as their child? That's actually a great question. I, I hate to, you know, try and play into any type of stereotypes uh, about our community, but I was kind of raised a single, a single parent, I guess you can say, by my mother. She's no longer with us. She passed away due to I'm so sorry. cancer. That's all good. I appreciate the apology. She passed away at the end of 2020. She's 59 years old, but she played mm -hmm. a humongous part in my life in shaping who I am as uh, a man, first and foremost, really also played a big factor into who I am as, I guess you can say an online educator, uh, especially regarding, you know, kind of like my spiritual beliefs and practices and how that has fundamentally kind of changed throughout my life. But a major props to my mom, Felicia Perry, may she rest in peace. No, I, I firmly believe that we live through our ancestors, that our ancestors live through us. So I know she is, even though she's not here in the physical with me, she's still always going to be with me, you know, through my own genes, uh, but also the ancestral. So I'm glad you asked that question because I, I, whenever I do these things, that's when people do ask. Um, and and I, I love my mother. She played a humongous role in my life. When it just comes to me being a man and, and how I treat my own wife but just a man in general and how I carry myself around people. So. so it sounds like she taught you pride, but also how to represent yourself. That's what I'm taking away from her. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, 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 she instilled that very early in terms of how I represent myself, right? But then also taking pride in who, who I am as a Black man and, and who we are as Black people, African-Americans. In fact, some of my best memories I have with my mom is when would take me to the voting booth. I remember going to the voting booth back when she voted for Bill Clinton and all the way up until when I, I wasn't old enough to vote until 08, you know, Obama's first extent. But every single election, not only those elections, but also local elections back when we were staying in St. Louis for a limited, but then in Belleville, Illinois, she would take me even to those local elections when it came to the school boards and things like that. So like she instilled 
so much uh, in me in terms of taking pride in our own community, but then also taking pride in our responsibility that we have to our community. I love that because people often overlook the local elections. They don't realize how important uh, they are. Uh, I mean, when it comes to, to your kids' education and uh, just public funds in, in general, you know, I know it's tough to really get a handle on who has that type of say-so, but you know, at the very least, and this is what she would always tell me at the very least, show up, <laughs> you know, there, there's some information that are, that's on balance, you know what I mean? To kind of help you out. But I mean, even if, and I hate to say this, but even if you're voting on party lines, you can, t- you can use your own eyes and your own experience to know this party's been in power for so long and then nothing's changed. So maybe I need to switch it up and figure something out. But nonetheless, get in there and participate because something that she would often tell me is that you know, that we had people that died for this right to vote, you know, so we have that responsibility to our, ourselves and our own community, uh, specifically the black community in whatever cities we're in to show up. You know, it's the very least that we could do. Absolutely. I'm going to hold on for one minute because I got to turn this air conditioning off. It's not working for me. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I get so easily distracted and I don't want to. I'm hanging on your every word and fighting with the air conditioning. <laughs> You know, I I love everything you're saying, and we are deeply challenged right now by the voting system because we see who's running everything Mm -hmm. and getting away with everything that they do. But I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. Now, I want to ask you, not just what I'm clear on what led to you becoming the ghetto activist, but I also want to know why the ghetto activist. Like, what what (laughs) what did you put in? One day you were just like, yeah, that's it. (laughs) It's so it's 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 so funny how it kind of came to be a thing. I've I've been a writer. I'm, I've I've always kind of prided myself on being a writer first. Uh-huh. So the blog came before the you know the Instagram account and the TikTok account and all that stuff. But um, even before the blog, I remember I had just transferred to Harris State University for my first. I went to Greenville College when I graduated high school, 2010, and then I spent two years at Greenville with a double major history education before I dropped out because it just, it was one of those PWIs that like, it really was working against me. I, I, I didn't see myself, you know, really excelling there. And then I transferred to Harris-Stowe State University 2012. And I was writing back then and I would always have the alias, the ghetto activist. Uh. And, and like, uh, I've even got papers that are saved on flash drives uh. with that tagline. But the reason the reason why the ghetto activist is because I'm from, like I said, I, I spent most of my early, early years all the way up until about maybe the fourth, fifth grade, uh, fourth grade, actually, living in East St. Louis, Illinois. And for those who don't know the area, it's it's a it's a rough it's a rough town. You know what I mean? It's a rough city. Uh, I mean, you could use Google and look it up. St. Louis is always, I hate to say it because there's nothing to brag about, but it's just a reality. But St. Louis itself is always top three murder cap per capita in the United States. And we all know how dangerous the United States is. So we could essentially say uh, one of the most dangerous places in the world. And a lot of people, a lot of my friends, early childhood friends, weren't as lucky as me, right? Didn't have a mom like mine. So not only did they not escape the luck, but they also didn't have a strong foundation and have been in and out of jail. Definitely haven't, I think in terms of my core group friends, when I was a young kid, I might be the only one with a college degree. I really cling to the title of the ghetto activist to most of, most importantly, remind myself of where I came from and, and to stay true to who I am as in, in, in those early years as me growing up to stay true to myself, because 
like I said, I never try and play into a lot of the harmful stereotypes that our community faces, but I feel like I have an obligation to show people, show the world that, you know, we, there is, there are flowers that grow in, in the hood. You know what I mean? Like there are people like myself who you can say, I have the white man's paperwork. Like I'm highly educated, if you will, but I'm not that far removed. You know what I mean? I'm still from around the way. So it's more so a reminder for myself, but also just to, to let people know that, you know, there are flowers, there are roses that grow in the hood. So, But, you know, here's the thing. First of all, I love that you reclaim ghetto. Oh, and I, 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 lo- I love that. I love that. And, and also, you know, poverty is the problem, not, yeah. not rape. Exactly. And, and, exactly. I, and I get tired of the misalignment of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if every community had access, there would be little to no poverty, probably more white collar crime would get would get highlighted. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's easy to blame it on to blame it regionally. It's easy to blame it on skin color. It takes a lot more of a, a thinking to just see where crime lives. And it lives in the most impoverished communities across the country, right. the world. And, and, it's, you know? and it's and it's not by accident that those impoverished areas have a lot of African-Americans. I mean, we all know the history of covenant laws that then gave way to redlining, right? And how one of my favorite Jay-Z bars is when he says, I don't know why they call a project a project because it's a project. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's by design that a lot of, you see a lot of us in these impoverished areas. So I appreciate you for bringing that up though, because I don't want people to get misconstrued into thinking that race is the main factor into it. No, it's, it's all about economics. And how yeah. we, and, and of course, race plays a factor into who gets access to a certain economics and, and whether it be subsidies or grants, things of that nature that help boost communities out of poverty. But let's not get confused, right? You know, the other day I posted something probably, I don't know, like three weeks ago, and I had a small following because I focused mostly on the podcast, but Jane Fonda speaking truth into how racism is at the core of everything, mm. everything. Mm. Man, you want some white people get upset. Oh, oh they were man. firing on that one. This oh man, like- when am I, when am I, I, and it's, I shouldn't say it's, it's, it's me or my thought, but you know, if you read Between the World and Me by Tony Coates, he talks about the, the eradication of white people, which he's really talking about eradication of race-based thinking. But as long as we live in a racialistic society, you can't escape race. Race is... I mean, come on now, the so-called faux fathers, the founding fathers of this country signed off on a document that said all men are created equal while you're also enslaving people. So like you can't, you can't have that. You can't have that history and not think that race doesn't play into anything involving this society because it's at the very core. You want to talk uh, cognitive dissonance? I mean, oh, Dan, that's a, that's a big thing when it comes to whiteness. It's yes. A big thing yeah. when it comes to whiteness. Okay, so what is black amnesia? <laughs> you know, I never had that question asked to me before. And I it's, and because it's never been asked to me, I, I I've never I've never had a thought. If if I were to if I were to define it, ah oh man, I, I honestly don't know. Other than like <laughs> I'll put it, I, maybe I can explain it in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a historical sense of how I okay. see it happening throughout our, uh, you know, time here in this country, right? Uh, one, I think it's a, a, center, a, a sense of, we're always trying to counter the narrative to where we forget how far we've came. 
right? A sense that, so I deal heavily in Afrocentric history and Afrocentric telling of history, right? And if we look at how our community has handled that, we can see it in different ways, right? We can look at the, the Garvinites, right? Marcus Garvey was a huge Pan-Africanist. In fact, he's known as the father of Pan-Africanism. And he really talked about the history of Black people worldwide, right? And connecting it with his time that he got to visit the King Tut exhibit that happened in New York during his time period. And then there was this huge wave of Garvey nights, right? And then something happened to where it fell off, right? And then we have Malcolm X picking it kind of back up and, and his, you know, passion towards Islam really led him into the Afrocentric telling of history, like J.A. Rogers and John Henry Clark was one of his teachers, or two of his teachers, in fact, right? So you have that explosion, and then you have that fall off again. And then you have the rise of, of the Yosef and Yakinins, the Anthony Browders, which is kind of, we're talking, you know, late 90s. And then that fell off to where we are kind of like now, right? But there's that one example of it. But then there's also what I would believe to be not so much self-inflicted, but through the Ma'afa or the Great Disaster or the Transatlantic Slave Period, we had the literal stripping of our history, our culture, our richness, and all of that to where a lot of us think slavery is our beginning, right? So in a sense, mm-hmm. it's amnesia to the fact that we don't remember how great we once were 2,000, wow. 4,000 years ago, right? Right. Mm. Um, so I, I would kind of see it as that it, in it. one of those two categories, but I'm very interested to, to know, like, cause I've never heard this term before. So I'm, I'm very interested to know it led you to ask me that question. Well, I think about the fact that we are forced to be in denial, to survive, mm. you know, and, and really the empowerment comes from remembering to mm. help us thrive. Mm. Right. Cause I think of survival is just hanging on by the limb and just, just, yeah, just hanging on, really. Yeah. But I see it thriving, which is what we do as a community. One foot in front of the other, we find a way. And that's because of our ancestors. And so mm-hmm. we have Black Amnesia. We don't remember how we got here. And mm. that, that's a problem for our future. Nah, and now, see, that I agree wholeheartedly, which is why I've embraced the Sankova symbol primarily mm-hmm. as, as my logo, I guess you can say. But for those who don't know what Sankova is, it comes from the Dinka tribe. It comes from the Dinka script, which is actually, I ran across some information by Anthony Browder. He was excavating one of the 25th dynasty temples from ancient Kemet, which the 25th dynasty was set up by the Kushites when they came to recate control of ancient Kemet because it was actually their ancestral land. And in the temple of one of the high priests, from the 25th dynasty, there was a Sankova, the heart symbol, which is the most oldest version of the Sankova symbol in the temple. But we essentially subscribe the Sankova symbol, which is the bird with his head backwards with the egg in its mouth, which basically represents the meaning to look back on one's past and pass that information into the future generations, right? But that's why I embrace Sankova, because... Yeah. We are a great people. We have a great history. And a lot of it because of what's been done to us through the Ma'afa, what's also been stolen by other nations. A lot of people have claimed a lot of Black history as their own. We really don't know how great we once were. But once we actually dust the books off and take a look for ourselves and see the evidence for ourselves, 
it reestablishes a sense of self-esteem and, and as Robin Walker would call it, group esteem. To where yeah. not only do we have high esteem in ourselves, but we also have high esteem of our people and our community. Yeah. Yes. 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 All right. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm deciding whether or not to get into this or not because I know. You. I know you're gonna go all the way there. So. So I'm gonna do it. All right. Let's. Let's take this up a notch and talk about the myth. The Bible is Black History, and why you took this on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I did not think we was gonna go here today, but I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. This is a lot. Uh, hopefully I can cram this all in to where it's at least high level enough for people to understand. Yeah, go, go up to the highest level. If they want to research it, they can research right. more. Because but I, I, I just, I I just want to get them thinking. I don't want to offend anybody. I want to start by saying, you asked me earlier about my mother and, my, and I credited a lot of my spiritual growth to my mother because I grew up in the church. I remember going to church. I mean, I was baptized I grew up Southern Baptist. I was baptized when I was seven. I got the pictures of it still. The first college I went to was Greenville College, right, which is a Christian university now. It was a Christian college then, but it's a Christian university now. So I'm talking about I grew up in the church. I've been to the university level where I had to take, you know, biblical classes where I studied the Bible. I went on mission. I didn't go on a missions trip, but I went on a trip to where, you know, I was introduced to a lot of dom- denominations within the Christian faith that people are not really hip to. So like you know, the Mennonites, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But the question and the reason why we need to understand that the Bible is not black history. The first thing I wanted to let people know is that you have, so let's say on this hand, we have the historical record, right? History facts that can be backed by archeological proof and findings, things of that nature. And then you have biblical literature, right? And that means, that's not to say that everything that's in the Bible is literature. It's not, you know, it's not real. It can't be backed up. But it is to say that we need to understand that there are these two platforms, right? So did Adam and Eve actually happen? Was there a great flood that surrounded the world with 30 cubics of water? You can't even cover Mount Everest with that. You know what I mean? Like we have to be logical when it comes to some of these things that are in the Bible. But there's also mentions of, you know, King Taharka and his battle to help, you know, Israel reclaim his land. That actually happened. We can find that in archaeological proof, right? So we need to understand that first and foremost. We need to understand reality. We need to understand mythology, right? And so understanding that (laughs) Black history predates any, any holy scripture that is included in, let's just say, the King James Version of the Bible. So that includes, you know, the first Old Testament, the first five books. And then that also includes the New Testament, right? Our history is much older than any of that. Any of that mythology can even be thought of. And if you really look at the history of mythology, you can start to see some of those similarities in much older mythology that was pulled into the Hebrew script as well as what we would call the Christian script. So you have a great flood, a great flood story. There's a great flood story in ancient Kemet. When Ra was upset about how people were viewing him and he transformed himself into Hitheru and then flooded the earth. And then a few, and then he made a covenant with a few other people and they survived, right? Um, there's a story of uh, Shishak and Ramses II or Remesu, where who prays to, 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 to uh, I'm sorry, prays to Ra essentially and asks for guidance. And Ra sends Shishak 
what we would call an angel or a goddess to grant him knowledge through the fruit of knowledge, right? And But then we also have the story of Adam and Eve and the tree of, of knowledge or the tree of good and evil, right? So you can see some of these similarities in much older mythology, but again, we need to understand that it's mythology, right? And that right. mythology and actual history have two different, there's two different playing fields, right? That's the ground thing that we need to understand. Well, no, I think that that's, that's like just enough. Right. That's okay. just enough. That's good. Thank right. you so much. Because I got some reading materials too that really gets into, um, you know, if people want to look into the actual, who were the, if, if there were people called the Israelites, who they actually were, there's a lot of great literature that talks about the Hyksos and the Hyksos time within Kemet, right? How they came to power and how they were driven out. If you if look, people look, don't want to check that out, check out the Victory Stilly. Um, don't give song. it all away. Go don't ahead, give it all ahead. away. Yeah, go don't ahead. give it all away. You're they right. gotta follow. They gotta follow you for more. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I got a series called Ghetto Sunday School where I really jump into a lot of this stuff. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Don't give it, it all away. Don't give it all away. <laughs> you can check out this, them sources, but you're right. You're right. This is why they need to follow you. Yes, okay. Yes, I, yes. I've had a lot of education following you. I've, you know, I think I know a lot, and then I find somebody like you, and I learn a whole lot more. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. Make, make them come to you. I okay? appreciate that. All right. So what does the quote on your website mean to you? If you're black and you're not thinking black at this late date, well, I'm sorry for you. That Well, first off, I need to, do, do you know, did I attribute who said that quote? Malcolm X. That's right. Okay. So <laughs> uh, I, need to, I need to say this because normally people ask me who is like some of my biggest influences and out the gate, it's Malcolm X. Uh, Elhaj Malik El Shabazz, um, formerly known as Malcolm X, but that quote specifically is what, and, and I and we need to do this as a community because it's getting out of hand. But that quote itself is what I would use if somebody were to ask me to define wokeness. That's wokeness to me, right? Because mm. I think wokeness only pertains to the black consciousness. It had no business getting outside our community and being hijacked. But just like by Felicia and all these other phrases that were in our community got hijacked and have been misappropriated and misused now. And now people are really starting to forget what being woke meant. Right. And what being woke means for the black psyche. But what that quote means to me is that you have now gained the awareness to see Garvey put it as race first. Right. I don't, I want to kind of get away. I hate, I hate using race terms, race-based terms, because, yeah. you know, ultimately if we're going to eradicate white supremacy, we need to understand that whiteness itself, race itself is the strength that give the, the ideology of race. The pseudoscience of race is what gives white supremacy its, its strength. But I got to meet people where they are, right? <laughs> to think black means that you understand this racialistic society. Right. And you understand it well enough to not only thrive yourself, but to help others in the community wake up to the racialistic society that we live in and pull themselves and and therefore pulling the community out of where we've been placed in this racialistic society. Right. Perfect. And 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 there's so much information out here now to where if somebody's tried to do that and you haven't taken that initiative upon yourself to better yourself and better your community, then it's too late for you. Mm. Okay, that sums it up. I'm quiet. I don't think anything else needs to be said about that. All right, I got another one for you. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> our dear Malcolm. We sold ourselves into enslavement. You can't hate the roots of the tree without ending up hating the tree. Mm. You can't hate your origin without ending up hating yourself. You can't hate the land, your motherland, the place that you came from. And we can't hate Africa without ending up hating ourselves. Mm. That's, probably one of my, that's probably one of my favorite quotes. I, I mean, I love Malcolm. I, I still listen to Malcolm's speeches. In mm. fact, today, I dropped the piece. I dropped a, 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 a series called Timeless Teachings where I bring up a lot of these old poems and quotes from some of my most influential teachers. And, and I featured Malcolm today with some of his quotes that he gave during the Oxford Union. But that quote specifically is one of my favorites for right now because what I'm starting to see, you know, in circles around me, I want to say in my circle because I, I think I, I think I really put sources and valid information. First and foremost, there mm -hmm. are people who don't have that type of integrity online. You start seeing, you know, people talking about how, you know, Amer the Americas is the original motherland and that we all don't come from Africa. You know, first, mm -hmm. you know, that's nonsense in, in the sense of we all know that the, the Homo sapien in the entire human family, so Homo erectus and all those other ones originated in Africa. You don't find any of the remains older than the ones that you find in Africa. So there's that one common fact, of course. But then there is also, you know, sources that tell us that Africans migrated to Americas before Europeans even, you know, had the nerve to think about crossing through the Atlantic or even had the nerve to think that the world was round, right? And because so much has been done to erase that history and hide that history and suppress that history, a lot of us run into a little bit of those sources and completely use that to eradicate the, our connection to the motherland, which like Malcolm said, you can't, you can't love yourself and hate your roots. It's impossible. Yeah. Even if you don't think those are your roots, you need to do more research because it is it. there in your face. I love it. I love it. I have a couple more questions before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. I want, you, I want you to talk about your miniseries, Dismantling Internalized Racism. That's something I need to actually throw. I need to do some more pieces on <laughs> because I don't think I ever wrapped it up on the blog. And, and if I want to do it on a like Instagram, it'll be, it'll probably be like eight parts because it is so much. Um, you know what? Let me just throw this at you because <laughs> I see it. One version for white bodies and another person, another version for brown and black bodies, because just in my mindset and all the, you know, education I've done for myself, Internalized racism belongs in the white body mm. and, uh, you know, internalized oppression is ours to battle. Mm. The fact that we uphold white supremacy with our self-hatred that's been taught to us through white supremacy mm. because we don't own racism. So how can we internalize it? I see it much more as it's yours. I don't want to make it seem like we can share anything related to that. I got my own stuff to work out. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. And, and I wouldn't necessarily oppose it, but on a grander scale, I, I think, and, and this is what, and this is what I believe, right? I think that what has happened and just studying history, what's happened is the ideology of race, right? The pseudoscience of race, which has created white supremacy, has 
oppressed all of us. And I, and I'm not trying to say like, we're all, you know, I have the same experience underneath whiteness. Right. Of course, cause that's ridiculous. Right. There's, yeah. there's a hierarchy when it comes to race. Right. That's why you have white supremacy because whiteness right. reigns supreme of the hierarchy. Right. But, and this is what I try and do in general, right. The, the, the series internalized white supremacy and internalized racism is really focused on us right? And how we've internalized these messages of oppression, to put it in your phrase. Okay. But to step back and really look at it in totality, whiteness and in the ideology of, of race, right? So the pseudoscience of race has robbed European Americans of their heritage, has robbed them of their cultural DNA, their cultural identity, right? And it's also implemented what you know, there's been a group of back in the in the in the eighties and the early nineties. There were a group of black psychiatrists that tried to get racism fired as a mental illness because I don't agree with that, you know, necessarily. But I do believe that whiteness and ra- whiteness itself and the ideology of race has created this mental state that is not reality, right? It has caused people to believe things and truly believe things that just are not the truth. And it has, because of that strong belief, it has affected motor skills. It affected the human bond, the human connection that we should all have, right? So in that sense, I believe, you know, we're all oppressed by pseudoscience and the ideology of race. But I will share the sentiment that it is a difference, right? Yeah. And maybe it is a naming convention that needs to change on my part to where it, it better connects with our community, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that is the truth. Well, and, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, white bodies are always trying to give away racism. And I, I was upset with Ibram in his last books for making it sound like we internalize racism. I'm like, come on, man, that's all we need to do is seem like we share that. We don't. I try and make the distinction when I say things like all white people are racist, right? And that black people can't be racist. You know what I mean? Yeah. That definition, because we don't hold racism is more than just color prejudice, right? right? Racism is color prejudice plus social power plus legal authority, right? You have Economic to have all, you have to have all three, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. one thing for me to be like, I hate white people, but it's another thing for me to say, I hate white people. Therefore, I'm also going to create legislation that yes. handicaps white people. Right. And not only that, I'm also going to have the social power and social authority to get other people to buy into that legislation and support that legislation. That 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 is racism. Right. You know, in its totality, it's not just color prejudice. Like me saying, I don't like white people. That don't mean, I don't know if I could cuss, but that don't mean nothing. <laughs> okay. That don't mean shit. You know right. what I mean? And, and, and that's just the reality of it. So like when I say black people can't be racist, that's what I'm talking about. And that all white people are racist. I mean, if you live in a racialistic society and you benefit from said society, you are racist. And that's not, and a lot of people see racism through that good, bad binary. And I think right. that needs to change because when European Americans, so-called white people see racism through that good, bad binary, it helps excuse them from actually doing the hard work. Right. Because they'll, they'll just say, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, inherently bad to black people. I have black friends. I have black people yeah. in my family. Like I'm, I, I contribute to black educators. You know what I mean? That's, 
that's not even really the point here, you know, when it comes to racism. Racism really deals with the society and how society not only sees us, but also enacts laws, legislation, social power to keep the hierarchy intact, right? That And that is why everything you said is why I don't like racism near the global majority. Because the minute people hear that, they believe somehow it's a shared experience and it's not. It has, it has hurt us all. I agree with you completely. Mm-hmm. And white body, the structure of whiteness owns racism. There facts, we go. Facts. And I, I will okay. say just to, just to end it off, when I say black people can't be racist, the only caveat that I'll add in there is that we can be racist to one another, right? So we can use the tools and the systems in place to oppress ourselves and oppress oh. people within our community, right? So I, I will say that part, that white people own it, even though, let's put it like this. Let's say, I hate to say a gun, but let's say the gun is racism. The gun is owned by the white community. It's, it's, it's been, you know, it has the white community's name on it. Us black folks can take that and then shoot ourselves with it and shoot people in our community with it. I am not disagreeing with you. I would just like us to not call it racism. And I, f- I feel you on that, though. And like I said, it's probably a name of convention on my end that needs to change. I'm going to leave that to you to come up with another name because I get nervous every time. <laughs> Something towards each other and it has race in it. You're right, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. all stems from upholding white supremacy. Can we uphold white supremacy and, exactly. and black bodies? Absolutely. Exactly. I still don't own racism. But let's yeah, let's 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 change the name of convention because I, I don't want I don't want the message to get lost because I didn't I didn't name this something else. You know what I mean? So you're right on that. I need to do a better job of. of yeah, I, I appreciate that, too, though. Um, OK, so we're going to wrap up here, but I want to know. Let me just say, if, if you don't know it already, I'm a fan. I really respect and appreciate you. I'm an elder in the community and, you know, I hang on to you younger people who are doing what I'm running out of, which is the steam to, to push the, the lessons, mm-hmm. you know, and you got the media and you have the education. So many of us self-educated, but it really relies on all of you. So I just want to make it clear that I appreciate you. I respect you. I honor you. And thank you so much for what you do. It means so much to me and so many people. We're tired. I appreciate that. <laughs> I truly appreciate that. Because I just like you lean on us, I lean on the elders for guidance, uh, and, and I mean, it, and and really for guidance because we we are our ancestors. Our elders need to be respected. That's something that I wish a lot. Of, I wish our community picks back up because it is a it is an African tradition to respect elders, to turn to elders for wisdom and knowledge. I hope that we do, you know, at, at some point in time, do that. But thank you so much, though. That means a lot to hear, honestly. Excellent. So where do you go from here? Good question. I've had other people in my in my community that's 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 took in theirs to much higher heights than me, simply just because social media has changed so much in ways that I, I'm just not willing to conform myself to. Right. So like on Instagram, it might be like it's not my biggest platform, but TikTok's my biggest platform. And, you know. That's all video creation. I like to do. I like to get my face out the scene, right? It's not that you know. I think I'm ugly or nothing like that. But I, I think a lot of people in my community that are, that I'm in community with, who you know have a lot of success, whether it's on Instagram through their reels or through TikTok, a lot of people follow them because 
I, I hate to put it plain, but a lot of people like to see good looking people. <laughs> and then it's a bonus, you know what I mean? That they're actually learning from them. You know what I mean? Whereas for me, I like to keep the information first and foremost. So I'm blowing up, but I'm, I'm, I know I could blow up a lot more if I did certain things that I'm just not willing to do because it's all about the information for me. And, and I see that in your posts. And the more people realize, you know, the depth of the information you provide, it's just going to be, it's going to steamroll, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's happening. And in that vein, let's wrap up by giving all of your social media handles so people know where to find you to learn more. Yeah, yeah. So on TikTok and Instagram, you can find me at The Ghetto Activist. On Twitter, where I do an occasional Twitter rant, you can catch some nice threads with some information. I'm at Ghetto Activist. Somebody took the Ghetto Activist, but I'm at Ghetto Activist on Twitter. And then, of course, the blog. Uh, I haven't updated it in some time, but there's still some very valuable information there. One of my favorite pieces of the blog, which is just theghettoactivist.com, is the ghetto community, where I have a lot of guest writers come in and share their thoughts. One thing that I've learned very early is that me as a cisgender, heterosexual black man, I can't define the black experience by myself. It's impossible. So a lot of people that you find in the ghetto community are people that identify extremely different than myself, but still have value to add to the conversation when it comes to the black community and, and, and that where we go as a, as a community. So theghettoactivist.com, Instagram and TikTok, the ghetto activist. And then on Twitter, you can just find me at ghetto activist. LinkedIn, anything like that? Anything else? I, I'm not on LinkedIn. I, I have a professional like my, because I guess I should say this. I also have a nine to five. <laughs> that is what people would call a big boy nine to five, right? So I work for Nestle Perina as a digital marketing compliance manager. So I have an actual very demanding nine to five, which is why I need to hire like an assistant because I, 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 I do 40 hours a week for Nestle Perina. And then I come home and do 30 hours for the ghetto activists. Like it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? Because I also, in addition to making the post, I, I read myself. Essentially, I'm really just sharing my learning and unlearning journey, you know, at a much higher level when it comes to the public. But for myself, that also incorporates time that I'm spending reading books, expanding my own knowledge. So long story short, I don't have a LinkedIn for the ghetto activist, but I should make one because I've also dealt with uh, the DEI space, if you will. And I've done seminars there to where, you know, I can upload some information and, and, and and help people in the corporate world, you know, embrace uh, a more diverse work environment for their people. So I'm glad you asked that because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be making one. So let's, let's just say not now, but in the future, I will have one. All right. Right on. I, I just want to get all that out though. So everybody knows where to find you, find your words, find your wisdom and, and become educated. Again, thank you so much for sharing the space with me, brother. I, I really appreciate it. I'm glad that we were able to make it happen, but thank you so much for having me been a pleasure. Shout out to you. Shout out to all the work you've been doing. Shout out to the team that you got behind you. I, I know it's a lot to do all of this, uh, which is why I, I never even thought of doing a podcast because it's it takes a lot. So shout out to you. Shout out to your team. And I appreciate you. The community appreciates you. And, I, and I'm glad that I was able to share space with you guys. Right on. Peace and love. Same thing. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. 